Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musician shaping jazz, soul, and blues. My guest today is Matt Polson, co founder and CEO of Omaze, I love the name, an online fundraising platform supporting causes by offering once in a lifetime experiences. After attending an exclusive charity auction where a $15,000 bid won the chance to play basketball with star player Magic Johnson, Matt and his friend Ryan Cummins wondered if they could fix the broken auction model by allowing more people to participate online and with equal opportunity. Amaze was launched in 2012, with initial slow growth changing forever, as they said, when they raised almost $1.8 million, having raffled off an experience with Breaking Bad stars Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul. In 2018, Matt survived a heart attack and was clinically dead for more than four minutes. This experience, he says, changed his approach fundamentally to both life and his business, and Matt will tell us about the impact this had very shortly. Amaze has now raised more than $175 million to support more than 400 charitable organisations, and having launched in the UK in 2020, they've raised over £11 million in just three years in partnership with charities such as Teenage Cancer Trust, British Heart Foundation, and NSPCC's Childline. Hello, Matt. First, it's nice to have you here. Thanks for having me, Alan. I'm excited to be here. And me too. Tell me what Amaze is in your own words. I've explained in mine, but what, what does Matt say about Amaze? We offer the chance to win dream houses to benefit charities. And we used to offer the chance to win experiences with celebrities and cars and trips to benefit charities. But now we're focused on houses. And why are you focused on houses? I mean, I like the other thing as well, but what's the thinking behind the house rather than the celebrity moment? It's just proven to be very effective. For the same amount of work as working with talent, we can raise 10, almost 20 times as much. We think it's much more scalable and spreadable. We think we can have a much bigger global charitable impact and create a much better business as a result. And you've been in business now, as I said, third, where are we, 11 years? 11 years. You learn a lot in 11 years. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing when I started, so there was a lot to learn. What I was going to say, because you're obviously, for those of you who have spotted, Matt is not British. He's American. <laughs> I know it's a, it's a hard one to do. And my, my American accent, as Matt was discovering just before, is, uh, is phenomenal, but not as good as his. You, you've dabbled in acting. You were in the world of production. How does it happen that you pivot at some point in your life to say, just a second, what about this? Where did that little spark come from? Yeah, I started acting right out of college and discovered that I wasn't very good at it. Um, and then I started writing and I was pretty good at that and started writing, producing, and then got really into doing stuff that was basically cause content, like using storytelling to inspire action. Felt like we were actually giving back and did a bunch of different projects. We were the first directors on this thing called Live Earth, which was the biggest concert ever thrown, if you remember that. It had yeah. some seven continents in one night, and you know we had a ton of global superstars from Bon Jovi to Beyonce. And then did a bunch of other stuff with Oprah and Bono and Jay-Z and all these, all these really influential people, big concerts, documentaries, all these things. And then we just realized that we were we were working with people who authentically wanted to do good, and we just realized we weren't doing that much good. We were creating a lot of 
awareness, but we aren't creating a lot of impact. It was kind of endemic to the space. So I decided to go to business school, try to surround myself with people smarter than me. I'd never even opened Excel before. This is your MBA. This is Wharton Wharton School. Yeah. And then when when we were in school, we had that event that you talked about with Magic Johnson. And so that's how we kind of transitioned to Amaze. And the the big break, as I heard, it involved quite a lot of chutzpah. This is where you, if I'm right, you yeah. gate you gate crashed Brian Cranston's charity event, and you basically said to him, "I know that these people here are saying they can raise X, we can raise more than that." Yeah, that's that is mostly true. Yeah, I mean, it was mostly. Yeah, I like it. You're <laughs> um, so polite. Yeah. Well, no, no. The, Which is the true bit? We did gate crash an event. It wasn't his event, but he was at the event. I see. Um, so yeah, basically, what had happened? He, he was. We were. We had like a month left of cash. We had not proven yet that this model was very effective. The most we had raised with an experience was $18,000. And there was another company that came out who did an experience with Samuel L. Jackson that raised $180,000. And so we said, okay, you know, our last chance to prove that we can do that is with Brian and Breaking Bad. And we had that all set up. And then we got a call from the woman who runs his charity and saying, hey, look, you know, we apologize, but Brian has decided to work with this other company instead just because they raised so much more money. And we we're like, no, you can't do that. Like, this is like this is our last chance. And she's like, I'm sorry. And I said, well, you know, like, where is he right now? And she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, we're like I want to meet him right now. And she's like, he's at a charity event. You can't, you know, and, and we were friends. So she told me what charity event. So me and my, my co-founder, Ryan, went and snuck into the charity event. And then we went up to Brian and we said, hey, we're the guys with Amaze. We were going to work together, but you decided to work with this other company and he's like look it's it's nothing personal i'm just trying to make as much money as possible for the charity and these guys said they would raise two hundred thousand. and i said well we'll raise two hundred fifty thousand, just like that yeah and he's like what's the most you've ever raised and i said eighteen thousand. and he's like how are you gonna do that and i was like well remember when you were beginning actor and you knew in your heart this is what you should do but it wasn't working out and you were willing to do whatever it took to get there like that's what we are we will do whatever it takes to make this happen. We'll create content. We will make this so creative. It'll go everywhere. Just give us this chance. And I think more out of like annoyance, he finally said, okay, I'll do it. And then that experience ended up raising 300000 And then he introduced us to Aaron Paul. And we did one around the, who was Jesse on Breaking Bad. And we did one around the last episode of Breaking Bad that raised the $1.8 million, And that saved our company. So there you go. Never give up. Here you go. And you've got to have a bit of front. The passion that you kept going with up until, you know, the mid-2010s, how was the business going and what was going on for you at that time? And I'm talking pre your brush with death, which we will come to. What was actually happening then, if you can recall, up to about 2017? So... 2000. So after we did the Breaking Bad experience, we then that created kind of a nice domino effect for a while. We got Star Wars. You get to be in Star Wars when it came back with Phantom Menace, and that became kind of like a global thing. We did a, a date with George Clooney before he was married to a mall. We did this crazy thing where you got to ride in a tank with Arnold Schwarzenegger and crush things, and all these things became like they spread really virally. Virally, yeah, Um, great things. Yeah, they were really fun. Yeah. Uh, Then, but by 2017. You know, with just the reality of how hard it is to scale something with talent became really clear. And what I mean by that is just, you know, we, if Arnold decided he was going to get his haircut with Sylvester Stallone on a Saturday instead of film with us, which actually really happened to us once, then like it it hurt our sales for a month, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and in 2017, we were just, we'd been at it for a while and the growth was slowing down dramatically. 
And then we actually went through a opportunity where we almost we almost sold the company and then that fell through right actually on my birthday. And after that we're like wow, we might be in trouble because the celebrity thing isn't really necessarily scaling how we hoped and it's just going to be hard for us to continue to get investment. And you and had so to we, let people go as well at one point. I we think. did. We Yeah, we did have to do that. We did that a little earlier than 17, but yeah, we, we had to let people go. In that go. period though, 2015. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 And, mm. and so at that point, there's a nervousness that this thing is drying up. Absolutely. And then you get ill. Yeah. So let's just, just give me the brief sketch of what happened. Yeah, so this was in 2018. It wasn't related to the company, but it, it did happen right around that same time, which was basically what happened was I was born with my stomach twisted and an odd. I was supposed to die when I was born. And the scar tissue from that surgery where they saved me broke off all these years later. They had removed two thirds of my small intestine in that surgery. And it triggered a bowel obstruction. And the pain was so extraordinary from the bowel obstruction. It triggered this thing called Takotsubo, um, which is basically... It happens sometimes on the battlefield. You know, a soldier will get a shrapnel wound to the leg and, and the heart's perfectly fine, but the pain is so intense that the heart sends blood to the pain center. If it sends too much blood, the body sends back adrenaline. If the body sends back too much adrenaline, it stops the heart. So mine was just triggered by this bowel obstruction and basically it, it stopped my heart. Stop your heart. You're, you're like four minutes technically dead basically. And then you come back. Yeah, I was, it was a wild four minutes. I mean, basically my mom, my family was at the hospital when it happened. And so my mom had down, gone downstairs to get my dad and my brother. And she came back up the loudspeaker, or heard over the loudspeaker. She was coming up the elevator, code blue in room 437. And my mom works in a hospital. So she knows code blue means flatline. And she knew that was my room. So she got out of the elevator she rushed down the hall, she got to the door, and the nurse said, I'm sorry, you can't come in, this is really serious. And my mom said, look, I was there when he came in this world. If he's leaving this world right now, I'm gonna be in that room. So they let her in the room, and they were doing the uh, compressions and the the paddles, they look like you see on TV. And my body was bouncing up and down, um, but I wasn't responding. And my mom started to crumble. You know, it's one thing to lose a child, it's another thing to be there in the room when it's happening. And at the same time, my dad was outside with my brother and this doctor said to another doctor in front of my brother, not knowing it was my brother, like, hey, I think we lost this guy, I think he's gone. So my brother pushed my dad in the room and my dad was crying so loud when he came in that my mom turned away from me to him to say, Gary, you gotta shut up or they're gonna kick us out of this room. And when she did that, she said she saw something that she'd never seen before in a hospital. She said every nurse and every staff member and every doctor and the ICU had just gravitated outside the window. And there was like 40 of them. And they looked like the silent church choir just sending in this positive energy. And she was so moved by these people that were sending love to this person that they didn't even know. It was this like spiritual experience for her. It's like transformative. And she took a deep breath. She gathered the strength and she turned back and she started coaching me. She said, Matthew David Polson, these people are fighting to save your life, but you're not fighting hard enough. You need to fight to come back. You need to fight to come back to us, Matthew David Polson. And they said it was a surreal experience because we've all seen like Grey's Anatomy, or I assume everyone's here, maybe <laughs> seen Grey's Anatomy too, but like there's never a 65 year old mom in the room during, you know, a, 
emergency situation like this. Um, and, you know, the flat line, as you said, went on for four and a half minutes. And they don't usually fight that long, but because she kept fighting, they kept fighting. And then at one point, the doctor, main doctor kind of shook his head as if to say this was done. And he, and he pulled away and she grabbed his arm. She said, no, please don't call it yet. And then right as she did that, he turned back to the table and said, wait a second, I, I think we might have a pulse. And then they all start looking at the monitor for the flat line, just expecting it to kind of go up and they're watching and watching, but instead of it going up, all of a sudden I just popped up and then looked up and I have this room of people looking back at me with their mouth open because they've never seen a flatline patient pop up before and they still don't know why that happened. And I don't know why that happened. And then I, so I'm just looking at all these shocked people and then I look over, hey, where am I? And then I see my mom and then I see my dad and I was kind of on my side and I gave them a, like a thumbs up. Well, that's a boring story, isn't it? I mean, there's not much in that to talk about. Uh, I, would, I wouldn't come back after the break at all uh, to listen to what Matt Polson took from that experience. He is my business shape today. He's the co-founder and he is very much alive and very much in the room. Um, and you'll be hearing a lot more from him very shortly. But before that, we've got a clip from the Michigan Academy Digital Sessions. They can be found on all the major podcast platforms. MDR X-Tech CEO Tom Grogan, part of the Michigan Group, talks about the metaverse, what it is, why companies would wish to explore it, and the potential risks we should be aware of. The Michigan Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. I'm imagining businesses are going to rush after metaverse opportunities. What are the risks for companies? I think the first is is actually organisational. I think many companies aren't yet prepared and ready to embrace and implement the, the technologies that go into that broad metaverse umbrella. Large enterprises have often been around for a very long time and have built core business capabilities around purely physical or entirely digital experiences. There's often quite a lot of work that needs to be done in order to get them organizationally ready. And we're helping a number of clients at the moment get their head around that challenge. We're acting for one of the UK's largest retailers, figure out how they do storytelling and how they set up their organization for the metaverse and how they build and structure and implement business processes that work for this new reality. Metaverse also carries some really interesting reputational and legal risks from online harms and data protection through to financial regulatory and tax. Within MDRX Tech, we talk about compliance by design underpinning everything that we do. And we can uniquely draw on the world-class lawyers from across the Michigan Durea group to ensure that we're always designing and developing strategies and software that's impactful and realizes value while also helping our clients to navigate often complex legal and regulatory issues. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And indeed, you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. My guest today, as you've been, uh, I'm sure you're aware of, uh, is Matt Polson, co-founder, CEO of Omaze, an online fundraising platform supporting causes by offering once-in-a-lifetime experiences. And of course, that's now become once-in-a-lifetime experience opportunity to win a house. Yeah. Right. The story 
that you recounted so eloquently just before is obviously, you know, not one one hears very often. The thing that obviously I've been thinking about is what impact that has on you, because it's one thing being in it. And in a way, people watching that happen, your family, it's almost not that it impacts them more, but it's a different impact to you being the person experiencing it, because in a way you're you're not there for four minutes and then, mm. you, then you come back. But what did that teach you about life and about what you were going to do with the rest of your life, which was, I imagine, feeling a lot more precious than it had done before you got ill? Yeah. You know, I've been asked this question a lot and I always wish I had better answers, but I, I think the first thing I would say is just that it helped me get over a lot of fears. Like I realized how ego driven I was not in like, I was never like a, a jerk, but I was, I always was thinking about what other people thought of me. I was comparing myself to others in a way that I, I think was unhealthy and it just helped me get past some of that. Like it just, it, it clarified a lot of things, helped me like just learn to kind of love myself for who I am as cheesy as that might sound. Like I did, I, you hear what that means, but I, I didn't really understand that. And so that was a big part of it. And then I also like, I believe that love and optimism are superpowers now in a way where I think you can tap into those frequencies. You can, you can really like create a, a reality in the future through like focus and energy in ways that I just did not think was possible before. I mean, like they said there was less than a one in a billion chance of saving me and they did it like by, and I think it was part of the force of my mom. It was part of the force of these doctors. It was part of the force of my friends sending love and optimism. Like I, I experienced that when I was on the other side, like I saw that. Um, if I would have heard these words said before this happened, I would not have believed any of them, but then I lived it. And I really do believe that, and as, there's a physicist that are starting to prove this. Like if you put out certain energy, certain frequencies in the world, if you spread that, like, it does change the course of events. Um, mm. And it doesn't mean you can just like, you know, there's a book in the US called The Secret where it's like, you just think about something and it happens. Like that's, I don't subscribe to that theory. <laughs> um, what a polite, yeah, polite, yeah. polite way of putting that. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but I do think that if you say, I, I really want this thing to happen and you say, okay, here's all the obstacles and you're really real about what it takes to overcome those and you don't try to shy away from those, I do think that you can help create that in ways that I just I just did not believe before. And it just a, just a question about, and, and I will, I'll get more into some other impacts it's had directly on the business in a moment. But just a kind of a, an interest point of view: Do you remember any of those four minutes and what was going on? Because I my father almost passed away a few years ago, but miraculously didn't. And he talked about that moment where it was like he was dead but it was he he's sort of calm about it i mean he talks about it mm. in really 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 relaxed way like no it was kind of all right i was, yeah. it, was quite, it was kind of comforting and i, I don't even remember he talked about light or something but yeah he didn't he wasn't stressed at all yeah were you not is that was that that was my experience too yeah um and i i didn't really believe in much afterlife stuff before this happened my experience was it wasn't like the go down the tunnel towards the light thing that like people talked about on TV, but my experience, and again, I, every time I explain this, I feel like I do a, an inadequate job, but it was as if you're deep underwater, like in a movie, like a submarine movie, and you're looking up at the surface of the ocean and you can see just like a little bit of light coming through. And the water felt like this kind of cosmic energy water where 
like they say in some traditions, you become nothing and everything. You're a drop in the ocean, but also the entire ocean. And it was like your father, father-in-law or father? Father, my dad. Yeah. yeah, like your father said where you, you feel it was total peace and love. It was amazing. <laughs> it was really amazing. <laughs> and and I, I think that's love. I think that that's all connection of energy. But I could hear from the light. I could hear my mom saying, Matthew David Poulsen, you need to fight. You need to fight. And I remember thinking like, okay. Put it together, man. I could man. stay here or I could go back. And then honestly, I part. Of, I think I'm really just scared of my mom still. <laughs> so I like, so. so I went, you see, we always come yeah, back to yeah, Freud. Yeah, this is, it really was. Uh, I was so like, I'm going to be in real trouble if I don't go back. Um, so, so then I remember decide, like, deciding. But, it, but you hear all these stories of people at the end of their life and something crazy happens and they come back or they don't, you know, and, and I think you do to a degree get choices sometimes in this, not always, obviously, but there is this kind of like awareness and others that I've talked to have had similar experiences. It's remarkable how similar they are. So okay. the impact on your business, tell me what happened. Was there suddenly a clarity of focus? Was there something about your energy and the way you applied yourself to the business? Because obviously since then, Things have shifted, Matt. Things are in a much better place. I don't believe that's coincidence. I agree with you. But what I'm intrigued to know what are the behaviors that you have now changed, if you like, that have changed the course of this business, which is now rocking. Yeah, there's, I mean, I think there's kind of like an overall strategic thing that came out of it, but then there's also just a way you approach the business. The strategic thing was like, before that happened, we had we had just done celebrity stuff. And then right before I left, we had done this campaign with Daniel Craig where you got to go to... New York, you got to go to the Aston Martin track. You got to ride around on one of a kind of Aston Martin. You got to keep Aston Martin. And it was supposed to raise 300,000 for the United Nations and it raised 2.1 million. And halfway through we tested, what if there's no Daniel Craig? What if it's just a car and it did well? So then I had gone to our CFO at the time, Nina, and said, hey, I think we should go buy a $250,000 McLaren, offer it with just Omaze, distribution, no talent, and see if we could raise 500,000 on our own. That car coincidentally launched the day that I unexpectedly went into the hospital. So when I came back all those months later and I was sitting down with Nina and I was just like, gosh, I just, we're never going to be truly world changing if we do celebrity stuff. And and I've, life is just so short. Like, and I said, you know, by the way, whatever happened with McLaren, did it raise the 500,000? And she said it raised 1.9 million. And I was like, that changes everything. So yeah. that spurred us to go cars and then eventually into houses and testing that first in the UK. And I don't know if I would have had, that was hard to do. It, it required a lot of people changing their jobs, a lot of like strategic shift. And when you're just in every single day, it's really hard to like rise above the problem and see what's going on. So immediately and, you had perspective and so immediately, immediately had the focus came because of, of, a, of a mini pivot and a yeah, kind of thing. Exactly. And then the funding. I mean, you've been funded significantly and a lot of that happened around 2021, yep. the last, the last big right. round. When you were describing the conversation you had with Brian Cranston, I was kind of there with you, which is, I mean, yeah, I told him I got $18,000. It wasn't anywhere near the thing. I told him I was like you. I'm the, the, the upcoming actor. Remember that moment. Was that the game face or the, the conversation you had with putative investors? Is that why they bought into the vision? Yeah, I think, look, I think all these investors are incredibly analytical and looking at the numbers. But at the end of the day, like, they're all human beings, right? And human beings connect to stories. And human beings connect to like a version of the future that you believe that you can create. And they have incredible capacity to detect how deeply you are connected to that. And so 
especially in your early years, like fundraising is about storytelling. I mean, this is a music station. I read this quote once that really resonates, which is, you know, words are the stories as noises to music, right? Music is just noise. But if you arrange it in a certain way, it goes from this thing that's incredibly kind of like disconcerting and disorienting of noise to something that creates an emotional resonance, creates these memories, makes you feel connected to other people. Similarly, like words, if you just kind of organize, just kind of put them out there and don't do anything, like they don't have much resonance. But if you create it in a story, like it can have an emotional connection. And we all understood the world through stories. So I think they believed the story of where we're going. and that, But we also were showing the math of it at that point, and increasingly so, but but still had a long way to go. And I just think they felt like they would do anything to make this happen. <laughs> and they were right. Final chat coming up with my guest there. It's Matt Polson. And we've got some pioneering soul from Solomon Burke. That's in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Just for a few more minutes, my business shaper is with me today. He's Matt Paulson, and he's the CEO and co-founder of Amaze. And we've had some extraordinary moments talking about literally life and death. You're a challenger, it strikes me, in, in terms of the way that you have turned the charity model upside down. And there is a profit element to your business, and there's also the ability to raise money and this democratization, if you like, of the auction that usually happened. That's the starting point was there's 100 people in the room. Why couldn't you have a million or 10 million mm. people? Do you get flack for the fact that it's a business that makes money, but it's also a business that raises lots of money for charity? And if so, do you care? People definitely have questions about for profit and nonprofit mixing together. For example, you know, when we first started in the U.S., Bono said that he would never work with a, a for-profit company he was also doing a charity. But then we did an experience with him and it raised 10x what it would do at auction. And now Bono is one of our investors. Hmm. And I think the reason that he came around and so many others is they realized that what really matters is how much money ends up in the charity's pocket. And the reason we have a massive wait list with our charities is because it's really hard for them to fundraise in any time, but especially over the last couple of years. And so if we can provide them a new sense of donors, then that is huge for them, right? And we really view ourselves as an entertainment company that also gives money to charity. But we really also embrace this notion that like our society makes people choose, like you're either going to do good or you're going to make money. And we just think that's crazy. That's a false choice. Like we're fine with people doing bad and making money. We have no problem with that. But if people can create value and also make money, like, why is that a bad thing? We actually think it's really important that we take that criticism and we talk about it so that other social entrepreneurs will come along and say, like, I'm not going to choose. I'm going to try to do both. Have you taken that not having to choose mentality into your life further than this? Has it kind of occurred to you that often we're having to make binary choices about things that don't need to be viewed in a binary way? Absolutely. And I think we, we can all fall into like what's called a, a scarcity mindset. Like we, we still very much as humans live in the zero sum world and we're not in a zero sum world anymore. You know, survival of the fittest comes from a, a world where there's a, you know, there's a limited amount of resources and therefore whoever's fittest at acquiring them gets to survive. That's not the world anymore. Mm. Like, so we actually have to change our mindset in that way. And that's hard to do. I, I fall into it all the time of like, oh, you know, I can only have this or that. I can't be this happy. I can't do that thing. And so Amaze is like a reflection of that. It's a win-win. Like no one loses in this, in this scenario. 
Like someone wins a new house and someone and a charity gets a lot of money and everyone else gets to participate. Like, so people think that's too good to be true or that's, there must be a catch or there must be a scam or whatever, because that's what we're trained in order to feel like we're surviving. So you have to break through that. And I think that's what we need to do as human beings in order to kind of perpetuate the, I mean, now I'm getting way too philosophical, but I think that like, you know, an abundant of like, we all are in this together and there's enough to go around. And, and so we can have all these things like is, is actually scientifically true now. We just have to get our minds around it as human beings. And that's what everyone needs to do right now. <laughs> Matt, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what a journey. And, and good luck for the, the next chapter and the chapter after that too. And I think it's good to get too philosophical. You, I don't think you can be ever philosophical enough actually, so it's good stuff. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? I chose What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong, which I know is a very, you know, common on the nose. But it's not only my favorite jazz song, it's probably my favorite song. And the reason is, is because it really helped me when I was going through difficult times. And I think that's what art's about, is if it can help you transcend those moments and remind you, I had a very dark outlook going through these hard times and it just brought me back to like what's possible. Um, and somehow as uplifting as the songs it is, it's not, it's not like false in its optimism. And I think that's kind of the greatest form of art music. That was Louis Armstrong with What a Wonderful World, the song choice of my business shaper today, Matt Paulson. He talked about love and optimism as the things that really came through from his own near-death experience. He talked about the importance of stories and how human beings connect with them and how that makes a difference to whatever business you're in. And he talked about the fact that you don't need to choose between doing good and making money. Absolutely fundamental to his business, but more broadly to the way that we all conduct ourselves. Great stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers. <laughs>